0: Hey y'all, and welcome to Best Behavior Creative Club. This is a podcast about uh, the people who make things and make things happen. We talk to on- we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to artists, we talk to makers, and we talk to the people that are um, that are pushing through. Right? We are in we're in crazy times. Uh, we are recording on uh, what day is today? It's Tuesday, April the 28th, and we're giving a bit of a time capsule into what uh, what those entrepreneurs, what those makers, what those folks are doing to work with, alongside, um, and just... just just make those things happen. Anyway, I am your host, Chris McAdoo, and I'm glad to be here with you for Best Behavior Creative Club, which I would add is a Design Sensory original production. I'm joined by producer Brad Carpenter. What's up, Brad? Hello, everyone. (laughs) I'm going crazy. Can you guys tell I don't do good just sitting in the house all day long? It's been an experience. I like, I'm a, uh, I'm a handshake guy. I'm a I'm a how the hell are you, Jerry, you know, kind of guy. We're both really social people. How do we – I'm not dealing with it okay. I'm not. I think we're doing the best. It's, that my, it's my confession time. It is confession time. Things just got super personal. And I think it's, it's also that because we are recording from our own houses, uh, me with an art studio uh, in the background, Brad with the best comic book collection that I have ever seen – in my life. Um and we are joined today. I'm super 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 stoked um to uh, to be joined by Haseeb Qureshi. What's up man?
1: Hey, what's going on guys? What's up?
0: <laughs> okay, so we're talking about our spaces. Haseeb uh, is is the only one uh, of us that has the standing desk. So I felt like I was in the future for just a second. You were like, excuse me (laughs) while I make this desk more comfortable. And you know, it's just that sound that like
1: (laughs) We're getting the the height adjustment for, because there is a video component to this podcast, the, the video components so that we can see each other's reactions. Everyone probably saw like the bottom of my half of face and instantly I became in the middle of the frame over 20 seconds and it was a long and awkward drawn out 20 seconds but standing desks are quite nice <laughs> it's the, the best
0: 20 seconds of my day well, <laughs> for everybody's uh, for everybody's uh, info Uh, Haseeb, also known as HQ, is a licensed attorney here in Tennessee um, and a technical founder with roots in music and design Um, with Morehouse Legal Group, where he counsels, advises numerous businesses, all kinds of things on all kinds of things, small business. Um, He's the CEO of a company called Audio Hand, a music technology startup. Um, And he's also a mentor for the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. Now, we wanted to bring Hasib on. Like, admittedly, I see, like, we've known each other since like olden times, right? Like, I mean, this is like a, a decade in. Um, and Hasib has always been one of those guys that is uh, comfortable in different situations, you know, um, from being a lawyer to being a coder to being all of these different things. And finding his own road, that was the most effective you know, thing. So um, and we're excited to talk to Asib today also because you have been doing a ton of work with those entrepreneurs um, for the recent, you know, um, all the recent things, the PPP, the CARES Act um, and all that. And yeah. we're going to get in. We're going to get into that. But first, I always like to ask, you know, kind of the question is like, essentially, when did you know Right. Was there a time in your life as there was there something that said to you, like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to make something
1: like <laughs> oh my God. that's been that was pro <laughs> that might describe my entire life. That right there. Uh, You know, I, so this goes all the way back down to um, when I was in college. So I went to Carnegie Mellon. I grew up in northern Virginia and I wanted to get the hell out of Virginia because all of my. High school friends and peers were going to go to Virginia Tech, William & Mary, UVA. um, And I somehow got the opportunity to go to Carnegie Mellon thanks to my parents. And just somehow they wanted me. You know, that was cool. So I was in Pittsburgh for four years. But in between, I came down uh, back home. And (laughs) instead of finding a normal job to work at, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I had picked up skateboarding in my sophomore year of college. And my first skateboard was a blank? Yeah, no, I don't, Chris. I don't think he knew this, but I had a blank deck, and I I made some artwork on it. Um, I I pencil sketched all all over it, and I sealed it up polyurethane like multiple layers, so that if you could shred it, it would be fine. And um, and a lot of and I ended up making um, custom skateboard decks for a bunch of random skaters around campus, and then I came back. Home and I put 150 bucks into Home Depot and I made my own screen printing press and, and learned photo emulsion process and started screen printing my and I never screen printed before in my life and I, I just I learned how to make a skateboard deck and learn how to sell it and you know all throughout my life I'm always trying to figure out I I typically have always tried to figure out what is something that I want to make because I think there's something so magical in being able to create and make something um and just there's no other Like, professionally speaking, there's no other greater joy, I think, than creating something that wasn't there.
0: Well, I think the interesting thing about that – no, I did not know that you, quote, unquote, (laughs) took up skateboarding in college. Um, But especially I didn't know that you turned that into, you know, essentially a a business. I want – I think that's a really neat thing, though, and it does feed directly into where I see you and folks like you going where you didn't ask permission – Right. Nobody said like, oh, see, this is a really this is a thing that people definitely do. Right. Um, And and so from uh, from doing from making, you know, original uh, skate decks, where does that lead you? um, And what did you then not ask permission to do next?
1: (laughs) So that led me to learning more about code while I was in law school. And when I got out of law school, that was 2010. So this is two years after uh, 2008 re- uh, recession, right? And at that point, a year and a half, two years, it finally hit the back end services, professional services, so legal, financial. And so at a law school, no one was hiring. Now, one, when I went into law school, I didn't actually want to be a practicing attorney. And that's a whole separate bag of marbles, right? That's a whole separate thing. But only five percent of our class actually were able to procure jobs in some kind of career. And all wow. throughout, I was learning how to code. I had already knew how to code from senior year of high school, and uh, I played with HTML back when it was so bad. It was so bad. I think anyone who's coded who's listening to this can can resonate that how much better of an internet that we live in. Um, but you know, I. I when I got out of law school, I I really, really, really decided I wanted to have my own business. I wanted to understand what it was to make my own money and understand how to control costs and how to make a sale and that kind of thing. And I already had a taste of this. And so the thing that I didn't ask permission for <laughs> was uh, not following the plan after law school, which was going back to D.C., and leveraging our family connections to go be a lawyer at a big box law firm. Hmm. Instead, the thing that I didn't ask permission for was that I just never left Knoxville. I just stayed where I was uh, because I wanted so badly to make something of my own down here. And, And this coincides perfectly with, in my third year of law school, I also met my future wife. And I, so, you know, I met Sarah in my first semester of third on the fall semester of my graduating year in law school. And I didn't want to leave the city. I don't want to leave town. And she's not a lawyer for anyone who's listening. She is, thank God she is not a lawyer, although she can totally outsmart me in so many areas of logic, right? But she's actually a a pre-K teacher. And we met while we were, while we were out during Halloween. So just, I could tell some stories on that stuff, but the long story short, I realized that this is, this is something I didn't want to, so I didn't ask permission, permission, and let me tell you what, it it was hard um, because I decided I was going to stay in Knoxville and make a business and not use my law degree. I decided I was going to maybe take the bar exam, but a lot of people don't know this, so I'll just publicly say it. I actually failed the first time I took the bar exam in that summer because I didn't want it. Um, and oh. then, yeah, and uh, and and by the way, if anyone's listening, like, oh my God, he's, he didn't pass. No, I did. I took I took the, the bar exam right after and it was the hardest year that it was administered. I passed it easy. Um, I passed my ethics, you know, almost valid in all states, like I had a really high score. So if anyone's wondering, wow, he's a he's a crappy lawyer. or He doesn't know. His, no. But there is such a thing as being smart and not and, and not wanting something right. And, um, yeah. and so I didn't ask permission to stay. I didn't ask permission to make a business. Um, I still needed a little bit of financial help from my my parents, right? Because that was a transition from, and I was very fortunate. My parents covered a lot of all my education. I'm very fortunate. I don't take that for granted. I haven't made, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, it just, I, I can't walk away from not creating value. I just, there's something, if you don't create it, who else is going to create it? Who else is going to create it? If you don't create it.
0: Who else is going to do, who else is going to, we'll use that as a, that's, that's a good pull quote, by the way. I love
1: that. <laughs> and, and, if, and if you create, if you want to create something that someone else does, you're going to be pissed that they did it. Because it's not going to be what you had in your head. There's a whole bag of marbles with that, right? But. There it is.
0: I think it is interesting too. Like uh, you, you brought up like you know that you had it. You had it good. Your parents were able to um, to help your, edu- you know, to kind of cover your education. And it seems like you also had a um, just a support network, right? Like so, yes. folks that when you did when you when you were saying, you know what, I'm going to do this instead of this. It does sound like you had a group of people that were like, well, okay, like you know. Um,
1: or did you face a lot of resistance? Uh, yeah, so that's a that's a great question, man. I felt like I had a lot of resistance. Um, I had a lot of my best friend in college. He didn't understand what I was doing in my life. My brother didn't understand what I was doing in my life. Every day I had friction from my mom and dad. You know, mm-hmm. and, and as a son of immigrant parents who took a chance, immigrated, made life great, I'm first generation American. I'm the first... I'm the first one in, in the States and the entire family line. And, and this is how I'm repaying my family's risk taking and debts to, to go take more insane amount of risk. And, you know, and so I, it wasn't logical and it, and a lot of people didn't understand it. And the few people I, I love Knoxville, I love East Tennessee because the, fr- the people that I got to work with in this town, in the city, the people I got to know over the last decade, you're included. I mean, I, all, everyone understood what it meant to take a risk. And there's such an independence, a, a culture of independence in Tennessee as a whole that I just became so fascinated and drawn towards. Um, so even though I didn't have a lot of support for going on my own and and I say that, I mean, and I say and I don't want to paint the picture of my mom and dad were not for me. Right. I mean my parents were trying to understand what was making me tick and they were trying to support me how they could. Right. So I'm very thankful for that. And we all see out of eye now. Um, but that was that was especially challenging. And where did especially where did your folks come from? They were Pakistani. They're
0: Pakistani. Wow. Yep. So first generation. So what you have there is is probably a lot of not only them, but just literally cultural resistance, right? To that risk.
1: Yeah, so, have you ever heard of ABCD?
0: I don't think yes. so. Well, I mean, the la- the alphabet, yes, but not... Okay, so <laughs> <right>. <laughs> we've,
1: we've got the A block, B block, C, D, but ABCD stands for American Born Confused Desi. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Desi is D-E-S-I. And so if anyone's seen a Bollywood film or anyone who's South Asian, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladesh, you know, Afghanistan, potentially... Nah, 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 it's kind of you know Arabic, but but if you're Desi, uh, when you were growing up, like I'm 35, so when me and my brother were growing up in Northern Virginia with immigrant parents and all of our family friends were immigrant parents and like all the kids were trying to figure – all the kids were trying to figure out, we had a choice subconsciously of going toward – and I, I kid you not, it was literally – do you want to go have more black cultural elements in your culture or you want to have more white cultural elements in your culture and that went down as far as how you how you spoke um what music you listen to and what clothes you wear and what haircut you got like literally like s- some of our friends had fades I'm pointing to my hair this is a video this is a podcast but so I'm pointing to my hair if, if anyone's seen a picture of me I have gloriously long hair I'm very proud of it I've curls Right, it's not crisp. It's not crisp cut. Um, and so, just to just to point this out, I'm going in a, in a digression. But it, when you're growing up, we had an option to to figure out in our identity what elements from different cultures to put in it, and that was oddly empowering, but also scary as hell, because parents weren't equipped to deal with their 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 children doing that. And so. I, just, I picked elements that I, were, that I was drawn to, and a lot of that ended up taking risks because I naturally identified myself with more artistic and just more risk-taking professionals. I don't know. So it
0: sounds – it's kind of like a, um, a, a Voltron of culture. Remember the, car- the cartoon Voltron where like all the different, you know, he, the, the guys, all, all the robots come together and form the one big, you know, uh, yeah. robot. 100%. So you, it's just, it's really interesting that you would be able to kind of approach life, approach culture, approach art, you know, in that way. And that you were able to, to explore, right. All of that you identified yeah. with an artistic culture, um, and you were able to, 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 to go with it. And then you end up in Knoxville, Tennessee, which you're right, man. Like there's a lot of people here, particularly in the last decade that, um, they understand that risk. They understand that risk taking. Yeah. They understand, um, that because you are supposed to do this, you're not, well, you know, it's up to you. It's our, it's always, we choose our own, you know, sort of choosing our own adventure, um, uh, our own
1: adventure yes. books there's some dependence around it. So if you make a mistake, you live with that mistake. People can help you if you ask for it, but you, you live with
0: yes. it. Yes. Well, and you, you're talking about people helping, uh, people helping people. And one of the best things about this community, um, and I would say there's, I, I'm saying it about Knoxville, but I know that there are other creative communities, both, you know, locally, regionally, nationally, that are also right there and they're reaching out um, and they're doing the best that they can for each other at any given time, but especially now. So we'll make a little bit of a time jump because um, I do want to, I do want to get into all of the things that, you know, you have done since then, right? Like since you decided to Voltron it up and come down to here to, uh, to Knoxville and get involved in these, uh, in, in these communities, um, one of the best things that I think that you have been able to do is be a real voice and a help for the entrepreneurial community. So let's let's begin with um, the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. Um, tell us a little bit about that and the mentor program and like why you feel that your experience um, as a business person, as a lawyer, it's so all these things, um, why you wanted to, to be in the middle of what is what is and needs to continue to be a really exciting entrepreneurial and artistic scene.
1: That's awesome. You know, it all stems from that identity that I want to be around people that create value, that that take risks, that it comes down, you know, it really comes down to? It comes down to optimism and confidence. It comes down to seeing the world with optimism and that you can see value. Okay. But then Having the confidence and then the wherewithal to say that, why can't I make that change? That just excites me so much. That for me, that's oxygen, that's life right there. Because I I don't ever want to talk about something that I can't influence or positively impact because that's not my lane. Then I want to stay in my lane and impact as many people or the, the right amount, right? as much as possible so well I I think I don't want to speak for a lot of people on this but I think I I will take the opportunity to try to I think when KEC Knoxville Entrepreneur Center wasn't around before Madeline Rojero's uh, I think first Mm -hmm. or second year in administration I think it was founded in 2012 I want to say before then, then every entrepreneur in, in the chamber and Tech 2020 didn't really do a great job of aggregating these entrepreneurs. They did, but they're very, very specific industries and niches. But it wasn't the average entrepreneur if someone had an idea. And when KEC came about, at least in this region, in this community, a lot of entrepreneurs felt like they had a home. And all of a sudden, yeah. I mean, the first few years of that center being available, there are so many relationships that have been because of KEC and because of Madeline Rojero's efforts in spinning that up and in conjunction with Knox County, with the chamber, with there are a lot of people who move this, the Appalachian funds. There are a lot of people that move this forward. Right. But, you know, all of a sudden in the first few years, the, the very knit of entrepreneurial spirit and activity radically changed in Knoxville, where now you have a home where people can create value and envision a newer future. Now, one problem that we all have in this area, I think, um, at least one that I believe we have, is our ability to grapple with failure and then pivot and then recycle ourselves as founders. Mm-hmm. I think we have a stigma of casting so much blame or so much, um, so much undue burden on founders if they fail, quote unquote. And, I'm, and anyone who's watching this, right? This is a podcast. I got air quotes, fail, right? Because that's a totally defined term, you know, but just as a sidebar, if the only way to fail as an entrepreneur is you don't try to create value, that's the only way you can really fail, right? Um, If if you just give up, you know that it's in your blood and you give up, right? Um, So I get really excited. So KEC is such a great home and it's got so much support from so many community leaders that just for a chance to be Uh, a mentor and advisor uh, in any way, shape, or form for any businesses coming through KC, it was just such a no, you know, it's such a no, such a no brainer. And I'm definitely not alone. There are so many more people have become mentors and advisors. Um, What's the big idea ever since KC started Mm -hmm. hosting that, which used to be a chamber event, and they have such a great relationship with each other. Um, You'll see so you'll see 30 people over the weekend, over a weekend, Dedicating forty-eight hours just to help new business owners that they've never met before. Um, so I, I just I get so incredibly excited about this. I can ramble on, but I'm not.
0: We're, we're, we've we've dug into the importance and the energy that is you know, the, the, the Knoxville scene. But again, for folks that are listening out there, there are organizations like this where you are. And I think um, for folks like, uh, for folks like Hasib and for folks that are willing to go out there and support and lend, um, lend that optimism and lend that confidence um, to their fellow, you know, to their fellow folks, I think that is just super cool. Um, let's dig into, let's dig into modern day. Again, it is April 28th. And so you literally cannot have a conversation about anything. Like you could be like, uh, without mentioning COVID-19, I could be like, hey, I I sure do like Snickers. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I liked them before, before we, (laughs) before COVID-19.
1: Yeah. Um, I was into Uber conference before all y'all. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) We've been
0: doing this. (laughs) we've been on this train I think there's a whole there is a whole other um, conversation that I think is going to be had uh, around this kind of communication essentially the distributed workforce um, all that we will save that. that that's a whole conversation we'll save that for another day um yeah 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 but for right now man um, you've been in the thick of it and this has hit a lot of people. Um, this has hit a lot of people very hard, you know, um, And, and especially um, those in, like, the entertainment industry or folks that were, you know, events-driven organizations. And I want uh, I want you to tell a little bit about what you have been doing um, with the CARES Act, with the PPP programs. And then I also want to talk about, I think, something you'll have a great um, uh, insight into, like, what the future looks like for both um, – small business and for nonprofit organizations. Right.
1: So what do you, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, okay. So first I, in order to have a conversation about COVID, it's important to know how lucky we are in our individual realms. Um, Hmm. because my belief is that everyone had, there's somebody out there that has it worse than you, period, full stop, especially now during this pandemic. And, and, the reason I bring that up is that it's not lost upon me that whenever I do Instagram videos, Facebook Live and YouTube links, um, where I'm talking about the CARES Act, that people are seeing me in a very comfortable home office. Um, the fact that I'm even in a house that we are paying mortgage on is such a privilege and a right. And I don't take that for granted. The fact that we have two cars in the garage, you know, that is a complete luxury. That is a complete privilege. Right. And so first, I want to just say to everybody that um, that is not lost. And I you don't take that. You don't take that for granted any day, you know, especially now. So using that, um, I'm also very lucky that come May 23rd, it's going to be three full years with a law firm. And I never thought that I'd be practicing law as a lawyer at a law firm. Um, my title is ent- uh, attorney and entrepreneur in residence, meaning I take a very business approach to everything that we do. And part of when we structured that, when, I, when it came to David Morehouse, he's, he's one of two lawyers that got me super passionate about law and what the field can do. And I, like one of the questions Brad had sent was an epic win. And I just want to say that Morehouse Legal and David Morehouse was an epic win for me in my life. <laughs> and I think my wife would agree with that because it provides, it provides me an outlet. So we structured my employment so I'm on salary. I don't have billable hours to me. And what that means, as long as we can make the economics work in the firm, I get to spend. I, I, it's okay if I spent the last month. And literally, I've been spending the last month of my time since March 27, since the CARES Act passed the House and became law. I have studied this thing and followed it every week and trying to report as much free, solid information as fact-checked as possible to everyone and anyone. And literally anyone can send me a message who's not a client and I can get them legit answers um, because I feel like that's our duty because businesses are fighting the strongest and the hardest existential fight of their lives. This is unprecedented, right? And as a business lawyer, as a startup lawyer, I think it's important that we come where we can, and since I since I'm good, since I'm getting paid no matter what, and I'm very thankful for that, and I don't take that for granted. What what, what can we get? now? There's a little bit of halo effect, and of course, there'll be some long term benefit with that, but that's not why I get up and do it. I get up and do it because businesses need to understand. You know, for instance, um, you can get a disaster loan through SBA.gov. When you apply for it, whether you're uh, whether you succeed or not, you can still get up to ten thousand in an emergency grant. Okay, that's EIDLs. Triple P pay te- Paycheck Protection Program. Go to your bank and file for this loan. It's two point five times your average monthly payroll costs. And by the way, if you're self-employed, it doesn't mean that and you have no W two employees. Payroll costs includes net earnings from self-employment income. And you use your tax forms in 2019 to calculate that number. So I've been talking about this for weeks. And now I can I can just describe those programs in like 25 seconds. Um, but I've been trying to get the word out. And so much so that I'm so lucky to have friends. I sit on the Mayor's Maker Council. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I have additional leverage to get my voice heard. I'm also an adjunct per, uh, lecturer over at... Department of Management and Entrepreneurship. at has them at UT, and I feel like that gives me an additional platform. But all this stuff is just trying to get stuff out there um, because there's so many people that they don't they don't know a lawyer, they don't know what to count it, or if they do, they don't they don't even know how to ask for advice. And then, and sorry, and one, and one more thing on this CARES Act stuff is that it's so complicated. It's so complicated that even big box law firms and mid sized lawyer firms, right? So they have 30 or 40 attorneys and I mean, these people are getting paid really top dollar, right? Those firms are still messing this up and I'm not trying to criticize them. I've messed things up too. But my point is, is that it's so ever evolving and there's so much information. It's literally hands on deck, all hands on deck to help businesses figure out short-term liquidity. So they don't go out of business. Now, some of the real conversations we've been having. Mm -hmm. Did you feel good about the business before the pandemic? And this is the interesting thing. If anyone's made a business and Chris, I'm sure you can relate 110% to this. It is hard. It is hard to start a business, to grow a business and to maintain it. It just takes so much insane amount of effort. If anyone of the right mind was to do it, like I think it's one of, the most admirable and noble things. And people make businesses because they see opportunity and hopefully to create value. Let's come back to create value. Create value for people. I teach this in my new venture planning class this semester we're wrapping up, right? We had to teach online. This was nuts. You know, teaching kids, it's about the cycle of value. The best companies have the tightest value cycle between the business creating it, a consumer getting the value, and hopefully it goes back around and the cycle keeps getting bigger. Right. So if you didn't feel good about your business before the pandemic, then go look at your business model. And so we're having conversations. I mean, this is all over the place. It's unprecedented. Unprecedented.
0: I mean, that's the Peter Drucker style, right? Like the business you're supposed to innovate and you're supposed to market it and then repeat. Right.
1: 100 percent.
0: So what kind of conversations have you had? Well, actually, a two part question is one and you'll probably know this pretty quickly, is what percentage of the economy is made up of small business?
1: I actually don't know this fact, which is pretty I'm – I'm never like a statistics guy, but the qualitative – I know, I'm just being totally straight up, right? Because I'm, I'm such Great a dude. qualitative intuition kind of guy, but I know the stats and I to a decent amount, and I at least know that there are more small businesses than there are big box businesses. Particularly with Knoxville and East Tennessee industries, small businesses actually represent more of the economy wealth, but, you, but they don't cut the charitable contributions. They don't cut the, the, the big banner events that you see in town. And so right. what's scary for our area and our economy is that we are so reliant upon big businesses, you know, Pilot Flying J, uh, Regal, Live Nation now with AC Entertainment. Um, I, I can go on jewelry, television, discovery. I mean, there there are more, there's so many great businesses, but if we become so reliant on those big businesses, then the moment this, like a pandemic hits, our, our greatest strength is actually relying on the small businesses. There's way more many of them and they impact the local economy significantly more. So because financially, the big businesses, we offer more tax breaks and incentives anyway, because they're just so big that we have, so th- there, there's a whole set of policy I won't go into, but that's a thing.
0: Well, there's almost a hundred. There's a little over a hundred and forty thousand small businesses in Tennessee, um, employing fewer oh. than a hundred employees. And I know I sound like I had that in my back pocket, but we're we have computers in front of us. <laughs> so I, admittedly,
1: wear on your face, and I was like, "Smart man, that's good."
0: That's good. <laughs> well, what have? And I want to kind of get the most out of our time um, here to kind of like bring things to, uh, bring things to a head and talking to those small businesses right now, right? The folks that maybe don't know what those next steps are, um, but they're willing to try. They're willing to figure out what that value is. So I like that. That's step one. Are you creating something of value, number one, um, and then two. What would you say? Uh, you know, what are you telling people? What are people doing right now to not only weather the storm but come out on the other side?
1: That's fantastic. So, step number one: being aware that your decisions might not be what everyone else is doing. That that awareness and confidence is huge. Like Chris is raising his hands like field goal, like goal because it's so big. <laughs> <laughs> because look, an- anonymously, um, I, I know a very small business. These are in restaurants, by the way. These are all restaurants. Um, there's one very small restaurant business, and they decided to go online quicker than most in town. Mm-hmm. As soon as, as soon as the the CDC guidance came out, where you really should have social distancing, and this was about early March to mid mid March, about spring break here. If you're in town, as start of spring break. They just said, "We're gonna go online. We're just gonna we're gonna shut down the lobby. We're gonna go online fully." And the decision to not close entirely got them so much backlash from bigger restaurants in town. That was hard, especially when I know and your and Chris's face is of one of perplexion because and that was mine too, when I heard this story, with this small business decided to shut down, um, temporarily to get online ordering going up. And they did over the weekend. And then the next Monday, they were just up and running. Meanwhile, bigger businesses, bigger restaurants decided to close full stop. And they didn't know if they would reopen until a week or two after when they're saying, well, you know what, we're missing. You know, if we sold to go, that's at least our rent. That's at least our utilities. That's at least our food purchasing contracts that we can't ignore or our insurance. And so these businesses starting opening up. Had this small restaurant listened to the backlash that was unfounded, had they listened to that backlash, they wouldn't have just had one of the best weeks of the restaurant. Let me be very clear. They have had some of the most successful financial weeks in the course of the restaurant during a global pandemic. Because – I know, right? It's a because they decided to de- to decide what was right for them. Wow! And deciding what, <laughs> dude, dude, like
0: that is so powerful. I mean, that is on a, on an individual level as well as a you know a small business on a community level. All those things, man. It's like deciding what is right for you. What is your value, right? What is the value yes. that you bring that no one else does, and being willing to stand up. To that 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 backlash, or that in the same way, Hasib, that folks were saying to you, you know, a decade and a half ago, or whatever, or whenever, you know, just like I don't know, I don't know about this man
1: in Tennessee. What's that in right. Tennessee for you? Like none of my college <laughs> friends understood it. you know. So, what helps us make these hard decisions and help us find confidence is relying in at least that our inner voice and treat that inner voice as one whole extra person giving that inner voice, the enough power that that's someone you can have a conversation with. Or literally that might be your counterpart, that might be your spouse or best friend or sibling or a uh, parental figure, you know, wh- whoever it is, but even that one voice where you can surround yourself. And this is why I really do think business is, is based off of either your level of optimism and confidence. That's why I love entrepreneurs. I don't attend the young professional events. Is I hear a lot of griping and negativity because they don't feel empowered to change their environment and their workforce. But I love entrepreneurs because all those cats want to be able to make something happen. And I, obviously, there are exceptions to everything. This isn't black and white rule for anyone who's listening. I don't think that of everyone, of course not. But that's why I naturally gravitate towards entrepreneurship. That's why I love
0: it, dude. You gravitate towards makers. You gravitate towards the folks that are willing to make those differences. And, uh, and and it's just, it's again, it goes back then, the folks that don't ask for permission. You're talking about optimism and confidence. And um, I believe it is, uh, if you guys out there, or, or Steve, if you're familiar with Brene Brown, she also talks yeah. about the importance of courage. Because yes. even that, make e- 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 encourage being essentially the willingness to take that confidence into action. And so what you're talking about with this small business that like they made that decision that we know that our model worked on Thursday, but it won't on Monday. So we're going to change. We're going to pivot and we're going to be willing to create value. I want to leave the I want to leave the good folks with uh, with some parting wisdom here and you. You said something really interesting about, uh, you know, you like to go to those entrepreneurial events because that's folks trying to create value. And you said a little bit ago that you want to be around people that create value. So it's one of those, like, um, decide what to be and go be it, you know, kind of scenarios. Thanks, Avet Brothers. Um, But (laughs) where do... um, where do folks need to go right now uh, to do two things? One, to learn more about your efforts with the CARES Act and the PPP, uh, anything like that. And where can they reach out to you um, if, someone wants to, if someone wants to take that step or, uh, or, or learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very fortunate to have uh, organized a private initiative called What's the CARES? So what's okay. whatsthecares.com. Um, this is a private led initiative that's backed by public support. This has the, one of our supporting sponsors is the city of Knoxville, American cannons administration. Um, and we have a couple of partners that are being able to help toss in some hard services and we're producing a six part webinar series based on the cares act and relief, federal relief that's available to businesses. We had our first one last Friday. Our next one's going to be next Friday and we're producing content in the middle. What's the cares.com is literally the home for all of that. And the goal okay. is there, we're still working on populating content, but the goal is there's this one big search bar. And literally anyone who has any questions about what the hell this CARES Act thing is, what the triple P stands for, what does the EIDL, why the hell am I swimming in acronym soup? Like, go here, what's the cares.com, and you can punch in on the search and you can find all the answers to your questions. Uh, we're working with community partners and rolling this out. And we're we couldn't be more thrilled. Awesome, man. Well, Haseeb, I just want to say
0: thank you for joining us today on Best Behavior. And then, man, just thanks for being a force for um, a force for that confidence and a force for that positivity
1: in our community, especially during times like these, man. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks for having me. And well, you guys are doing great. More storytelling like this. This is what people need. This is what businesses need. This is it. Well, we hope, to, we hope to keep it up, man. We hope to keep it up. Well, thanks to
0: everybody for uh, for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your ears. Uh, and please, if you enjoy what you heard, if you found value in it, please um, go leave us a good rating um, and share it with your friends, family, neighbors. Share it with your nemesis. Nemesis. Yeah. Nemesai. Nemesai. Yeah. Um, and uh, and share it around on socials and all that kind of uh, of stuff. We just we really appreciate you guys and uh, and we can't wait to see. Uh, We can't wait to see what you make next. This has been Best Behavior Creative Club, an original Design Sensory production. Again, I'm your host, Chris McAdoo. I'm joined by Brad Carpenter, and our guest has been Hasib Qureshi. Um, Again, if you want to know what's going on right now and you need help or you just want to get educated, um, go to whatsthecares.com where there is just a ton of info um, and, uh, and helpful information. Y'all, go make something great.